Good morning. It was also homecoming at Harding, and our future son-in-law, John Andrew, uh, was the lead in the homecoming musical, Singing in the Rain. And before the show started, uh, we were just talking, visiting, and I said, how's it going, you know, how was opening night? And he was explaining how good it was to actually do the play before a live audience. You know, he said, because they've been for months and months rehearsing to an empty room. And so he said, you forget about the lines that are funny and the feedback you would get from the audience. And he said, you know, just to perform in front of a live audience makes a huge difference. And that's true, isn't it? But not just for an actor on a stage or any kind of performer. That's true for all of us as well. When we've got an audience, somebody to applaud. Applause is captivating. And do you know why? Applause is captivating because you want to know if you're connecting. You want to know if they approve. You want to know if you're doing a good job. Applause is captivating, but it also can take you captive. And that's what we're going to talk about today. When you live for acceptance of the crowd, you wind up in a very crowded prison. And we've been talking about different concepts when it comes to freedom and what it means to live free in Christ. But Jesus has set us free. He set us free first and foremost from our sins. We've been washed clean. We have the hope of eternal life. We have His Holy Spirit living within us. And, and that's a wonderful thing. We don't take that for granted. But there's also freedom in Christ. And that means we live our lives as free people. Not under the bondage or the influence of all these things that can hold us back. I read about a group of Christians that were studying this concept and they were asked to write the, the top areas of bondage or what is their struggle. And you can imagine a lot of them were common. In fact, I want to share the top five areas that they listed on this particular group. And maybe some of these would be your top five Number five was anger and bitterness. That was in the top five. We talked about bitterness a few weeks ago, and we're going to talk about anger um, in the coming weeks. Number four was about greed and money issues. Our last lesson, we talked about being free from greed. Number three was sexual sins. The bondage that comes from that. Like I tell couples in premarital counseling, to, to be careful of money trouble, and also the sexual misconduct because so many times it's not about the money and it's not about the sex. There's some other issue that is really the core problem. And then frankly, I'm not sure how much to, in an audience with young children that we can talk about number three, but definitely an area of bondage. Well, number two, and I thought this might be number one, but number two is fear and worry. Fear and worry issues. But this one surprised me. This was number one. Struggles with self-worth. Does that surprise you too? Struggles with self-worth. So many, this is their first area of bondage. The most. Or we might use the phrase, a people pleaser. Now, I looked at my Bibles for that phrase. You don't find it. But what you do find in the Bible is the phrase, fear of man. And that's what we're talking about, really. In fact, look on the screen. Proverbs 29, 
Verse 25, fear of man doesn't mean you're afraid for, for your physical health, that kind of thing. Safety, that's not the issue. Fear of man means living for their approval instead of God's. Proverbs 29-25 from the New International Version, fear of man will prove to be a snare. The New Living Translation says fearing people is a dangerous trap. Hear those bondage words there, snare, trap? The New Century Version says being afraid of people can get you into trouble. And the contemporary English version says, don't fall into the trap of being a coward. So you'll never be free as long as you let other people tell you how to live. People pleasing is bondage. But who hasn't? Who hasn't felt the pull of that chain? That's my first point. Everybody struggles with approval addiction. Or at least that desire for that applause that strong desire. Now, you may be thinking, no, not me. That's, that's not me. Maybe someone else. But I think wanting approval starts at an early age, and in some ways we never get past it. It begins with wanting our moms and dads to approve. Look, see, and we show them whatever we made or created. And it continues, we want our friends to like us. We want our teachers to tell us that we did a good job. And even as adults, we want our boss to approve, to appreciate we all have an overwhelming desire to be accepted by others. Or to put it another way, we all like to be liked. It's just part of the human condition. Not always bad, but it can be bad. And that's why we need to study this and think about this. In fact, the desire to be liked sometimes overwhelms the desire to be right. Maybe you heard about this. There was a study done years ago at a university where 10 students were placed in a room and then on a, a diagram where they could all see, there were three lines. A short line, a medium-length line, and a long line. And the students were told to raise their hands when the instructor pointed to the longest line. But now nine of the students had been instructed beforehand to, not, to raise their hands only when they pointed to the second longest line. So then when they were all in there, obviously there's one who's a stooge. So the instructor then said, tell us which one is the longest line. And so he points to the longest line. And 75% of the time, that one would raise his hand and then look around and see that nobody else has raised their hand. And then they'd put their hand down. 75% of the time. And the study was done from first graders all the way up to high school. They would rather be accepted than to be right. The power of people-pleasing is amazing. Let that statement sink in. They would rather be accepted than be right. That's how strong this approval addiction, this people-pleasing is. And approval addiction comes at a high price. This pressure to conform your values to whatever the public opinion poll says is right. Approval addiction means unwillingness to risk intimacy. So life is a mask. It's a pretense. You can't really be yourself because if I was myself, then I'm afraid you wouldn't like me, so I pretend. And that keeps relationships from really growing. And that leads to an eroding self-esteem because how can I feel good about myself if I'm fake and I'm not real even to the people that mean the most to me? 
and that waning willpower to stand against the many. Why? Because being accepted is more important than being right. So many of our, what was our thinking moments? You've had them, I've had them. You know, what was I thinking? Can't believe I did that. Goes back to this. We just want to fit in. We wanted approval. We wanted the applause. We're driven by the desire to influence what other people think of us. So again, that workaholic or that person who's shackled by debt, they go and they go and they do and they do so that they can get stuff to impress others, to appear successful. How many young people especially have compromised their sexual purity because they wanted someone's approval or acceptance. They want to fit in. Can you think about a time when you laughed at inappropriate humor? And not so much because it was funny, but because it was expected. Everybody in the room. And so you went along with it. And I want you to know, as I talk about the speck in your eye, I'm not unaware of the log in my own. These studies have been very uh, difficult. So I need to confess that I am a recovering people pleaser. But I say that and we could go around the room and you could make the same confession, I believe. I like to be liked. And sometimes that turns me into a person I don't like. I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. Don't you? But as we get into this, I want to make sure that we don't swing the pendulum too far the other direction, and we'll talk about that a little bit tonight. That we don't care at all what people think. We're not aware of our influence. We're not aware of our example. That's not what we're talking about. I mean, sometimes I do give in to people-pleasing, and at other times I can be brutally honest. See, I can tell you, my family, we're, we're brutally honest, and sometimes that's not pleasant. So it's sort of in my upbringing. I can just say it like it is, whether I should or not. I'll give you an example. One time, I may have told you about this, C and I were out shopping together, went to a shoe store. I went to the men's side. She went to the women's side. I got through before she did, believe it or not. So I went over and found her in the women's section, and she's sitting on one of those little benches. She had three or four pair, you know, spread out. She was trying them on. And so she said, what do you think? Do you like any of these? And so I said, well, I like those and those, but, but not those. Those are hideous. She said, those are the ones I wore in today. I did that. So I'm not saying be callous or unkind. But here's the truth. I want you to get this. Most of us don't struggle with being wicked. I'm talking to a Sunday morning crowd. You're a church. Most of us don't struggle with being wicked. Our struggle is with being wimpy. Where courage is absent, bondage is present. And the sad irony is point number two. Nobody wins the people-pleasing race. You'll never find happiness trying to keep everybody happy. And that people-pleasing race, you're really only running in circles into prison. Because the finish line keeps moving. There is no finish line. So you keep going and going and going. And you can't escape. So the crowd, the people, they applause performance. As long as you're winning, as long as you're first, as long as you're prettiest, as long as you're best. 
They're supporting you and they're applauding you. But here's what we know. There's always somebody else who's going to catch up and pass you. And they're going to be faster or prettier or smarter. And then the applause that you were living for is gone. J.R. Vassar wrote, Glory Hunger. God, the Gospel, and our quest for something more. He was trying to work for the Lord in, in Burma. And there were people there before this broken Buddha. Let me just share this quote. He said, One day we were prayer walking through a large Buddhist temple when I witnessed something heartbreaking. A large number of people, very poor and desperate, were bowing down to a large golden Buddha. They were stuffing what seemed to be their, the last of their money into the treasury box and kneeling in prayer, hoping to secure a blessing from the Buddha. On the other side of that large golden idol, scaffolding had been built. The Buddha had begun to deteriorate and a group of workers was diligently repairing the broken Buddha. I took in the scene. Broken people were bowing down to a broken Buddha asking the broken Buddha to fix their broken lives while someone else was fixing the broken Buddha. And then he makes this observation. The insanity and the despair of it all hit me. We are no different from them. We are broken people looking to other broken people to fix our broken lives. We are glory-deficient people looking to other glory-deficient people to supply us with glory. Looking to other people to provide us for what they like themselves is a fool's errand. It is futile to look to other glory-hungry people to fully satisfy our glory hunger. And doing so leaves our souls empty. It's not worth it to let other people determine your worth. It's bondage. And it leads to all kinds of spiritual damage. And here's the reality. I think we read this over and over again in the Bible. Pleasing God means there are times where you displease people. Now you know that already. I'm not teaching you anything new, but I think we need to realize that. And those who are used mightily by God had better get used to not everybody liking it. And somebody opposing them. And the applause will stop. Paul got this. Galatians 1.10. Look what he says. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Look at that last line again. If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. So Paul confesses, I used to, but I stopped. That's my former life. See, free people... Free people live for an audience of one. That's your motivation. He's all that matters. But He's the only one whose measure of your value brings real freedom. And that brings me to point number three. You don't have to race for your worth because somebody else has already proved how much you're worth. It's already happened. I want you to listen to this. Because this may be what you need to hear today. So many people are in bondage because they live their life for a blessing. Instead of living their life from a blessing. I know we're just talking prepositions here, but it makes a big difference. 
and what you know about God and what you believe about yourself and how you live your life. So many people in bondage live their life for a blessing. What if, what if worth was conferred on you and because of that worth, then you're able to live your life? How would that impact you? So you don't pursue life seeking affirmation. How many people look to God and they're always just wanting God to affirm them and and, and to tell them and tell them and they never receive it? Instead of receiving the affirmation that God has given and then living their life from that. Understanding their worth. Do you realize... This is what God wants you to know. I want to share two verses. There, there, there are so many others we could share, but two specifically. Ephesians 1, 4. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. When you live in bondage to what other people think of you, the blessing of knowing what God thinks of you takes a back seat. Because you're listening to their applause. But other people are are not experts on your worth. Only God is. One preacher said when he was a senior in high school, he came home one day and his mom was having a garage sale, getting everything ready, and he noticed his old teddy bear, since he was a child, was up on the auction block. She didn't ask him. And it was old. I mean, he had it since a child. It was one of those, and you've already got it in your mind. You know the kind that is way past keeping. Torn, missing an eye, doesn't smell too hot. Yeah, that kind of old teddy bear. And she had put a little sticker on there, 25 cents. He said that was the only time in his life that he called his mother to repentance. (laughs) And then he made this statement. The one who owns him and loves him, decides his worth. God doesn't just proclaim your worth, he proves it. And this is the second verse, Romans 5, 8. You know this passage, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know that verse. You may already have it even marked in your Bibles. Maybe you've got it memorized. But here's what I want you to know. Every day you decide what you believe about your worth. Every day you make that decision. You have a choice. Right now, you are determining your worth based on how you see yourself according to others or how you see yourself according to God. And you make that choice. And when you become convinced how much you matter to God, then it doesn't matter so much what other people think. The love of God will cry out the need for the applause of the crowd. And when you know who you are, you also know you don't have to be to win somebody else's approval. Your identity has already been named and claimed and proven. God went first. He taught us this. And you can leave the prison of other people's expectation. And it can be so liberating. So freeing to be conscious of God's approval that nobody else can tell you how to live. And here's the last point. Anybody freed by love can love anybody. 
Anybody freed by love can love anybody. Jesus made it clear. Our mission, our purpose. What is the greatest command? What is the one like to it? He said, love God, love people. We know that. We know that. But understand, you cannot be a lover and a pleaser. It's a choice. And that's because applause is always conditional. Applause is never based on grace. So if you live for applause, you cannot love God and love people. But when you leave the prison of people-pleasing, you are free to give unearned, undeserved, unconditional love to anybody. Because you've been loved. You're not loving for their approval. You're loving people out of God's approval. That's what John meant, 1 John 4.19. We love because He first loved us. We love from our blessing, not for a blessing. We've read it in the Bible. We've accepted it as true. We've owned it. It becomes a part of who we are. So we love from the blessing. We are only free when we love people out of the blessing instead of for one. Isn't this how Jesus loved? Isn't this how Jesus lived? I mean, you open your Bibles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see this over and over again, how He could love people because He was not so bothered by what everybody else thought. He wasn't tiptoeing around. How's this going to go over? He wasn't doing the opinion polls. Jesus was just being Jesus. And He could love people that others weren't willing to love. Jesus? She's got a bad reputation. I'm not so sure you need to be spending time with her. Doesn't matter what people think. Jesus, he's a traitor to his own nation. Nobody likes him. It doesn't matter what people think. Jesus, they're not the right race. We shouldn't go there. It didn't matter what people thought. He just ignored their comments. He was not enslaved to people's opinions. Jesus in the flesh was so conscious of the love of God that He could love anybody. And He lived it out. He was free to love because He was secure in the knowledge that He was loved. And folks, we can be that free. That's the message. Jesus has set you free. One man related a story of what happened to him in high school. You see, there was a boy that lived a couple of doors down who was just awkward, socially awkward. He said to be called a nerd was probably the kindest thing that people ever said about him. He didn't help himself. He was awkward the way he dressed. He was an easy target. Still no excuse for it, but it happened. And as they, growing up together, living near each other, they were on the same bus. He said it started on the bus, it just got worse all day long. But here's what nobody else knew. That young man's dad verbally abused him so that what he got at school really was, was nothing compared to what he got at home. You know, in high school, there's so many factors that play into your social standing, right? And part of coming of age is trying to figure all that out. You know, and some get a head start more than others as far as kind of making their way up the cool factor. 
you know, if you've got the looks or you've got the athletic ability or if you've got the talent, if you've got the right clothes, if you've got a bunch of those, well, that just kind of helps you kind of climb on up. Men saved his money. His dad helped him. He got a car. He was so excited. No longer would he have to ride the bus. He came of age. It was an exciting time. But his excitement kind of took a turn. There was a knock on the door. And there's his friend, Daryl. A couple doors down. Hey, is that your car? Yeah, I'm excited. Dad and I, we worked together. Saved our money. He said, you going to drive to school tomorrow? He said, yeah, man, I can't wait. Can I have a ride? He knew. If he took that guy, if you're seen with that guy, cool factor just goes down. You know, the joy of having his first car, what do you do? He realized the young man's name was Daryl. Daryl wasn't just asking for a ride. He was asking for a rescue. So he gave him a ride the next day and every day through the rest of their junior year. And said, so, you know, he really wasn't such a bad guy. And they became friends. The next summer, the car pulled up in front of his house Knock on the door, and it was Daryl. Daryl said, I got a car. I'm so excited, and I wanted you to be the first to see it. This young man said, You know, I didn't really know what was going on. I couldn't explain the feeling. He said, But I think for the first time in my life, I got the message from God well done. Well done. He'd made the right choice. He did the right thing. Have you ever heard the applause of God? Have you ever heard God tell you, you did good. You did right. I'm on your side. God is crazy about you. He loves you so much. He's forever determined your worth. And what He wants you to do is just believe it. I mentioned my last weekend, not just because I'm proud of John, my soon-to-be son-in-law. It sounds so weird to come out of my mouth. He's a great guy. And he's really talented. He really did well. But last weekend, there's really kind of two shows for me. There's the one that I paid for and sat in. It was on the stage. But I was able to sit next to my daughter, Emily. And I enjoyed watching the show. And then I enjoyed watching Emily watch John. And oh my goodness. It was amazing. Because you know, he really did great. But even if he had fumbled over his lines or you know, missed a note in a song or maybe tripped and fell during one of the dance numbers, to Emily it wouldn't have mattered. 
I mean, she's so smitten by him. It's just embarrassing. <laughs> and that's just a fraction of how much God feels for you. He's cheering for you. He's on your side before the curtain of life ever comes up. And He's already determined He's going to stand up for you. And He wants you to know He loves you that much. If you'll receive it. If you'll believe it. Go back and read the Scriptures that you've read so many times. And if you let them sink in and become a part of the fabric of who you are, you realize God is crazy about you. So much so that He gave His Son to die for you so that you could become His son, His daughter, and live with Him forever. We're going to sing a song to encourage you. Come to God. Your number one cheerleader the one who loves you more than anybody else. He's on your side. And what He wants to know is if you believe it. He'll make you a new creation in baptism, give you the gift of His Holy Spirit, make you into what He wants you to be, and never let you go. Or maybe for you, if you've been bowing down to this people-pleasing, if it's been consuming you, distracting you, if we can pray for you for whatever you need, won't you come as we stand and sing and encourage you?